You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. The title of our message, In His Presence, Isaiah 6, 1 through 9. And we're going to see seven things that happen to you in God's presence. It's a very simple message. We're not going to take a long time just going to look at some ideas concerning what happens in the presence of the Lord. I'll give you a little background on Isaiah. Isaiah and many of the prophets that wrote, they were prophesying in bad times, difficult seasons. Um, Isaiah was on and off. Isaiah saw great days and he saw bad days. Often the lives of the prophets spanned multiple kings. And so they saw the ups and the downs and they were able to speak on behalf of the Lord, that often in up seasons when everybody was doing wonderful and happy, yet disobeying God, the prophets would speak and that made them very unpopular. And they did not want to listen to them. In fact, they even persecuted them. Even many prophets, they murdered, they killed. Jesus spoke about them in his day when he was here. And Isaiah, of course, there were many that did not like what he had to say. Jeremiah, all of them, Ezekiel, uh, some of them born during times of exile, and they spoke the words of the Lord. One thing they all have in common, though, and that was an encounter with God. An encounter that separated them, and, and things that happened in the presence. And my favorite of all the prophets is the prophet Isaiah. There's so many beautiful patterns and things in it. I preach it all the time. It is in our daily reading today, the sixth chapter of Isaiah. And really, the, the part I'm going to focus on is verses 1 through 9 to see these uh, seven things. So let's begin with number 1. The first thing is you see the Lord in His presence. The year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. It's interesting that, that he said he saw the Lord. There are... Before this time, the first five chapters, there's not a lot of talking about actually seeing the Lord or being aware of His presence in this degree. He heard the voice of the God he, that He was serving. He felt the mandate in His life and in His heart. But this experience brought Him to another level because this was Him being taken out of this earthly realm. Now, He saw the Lord. Where did He see the Lord? In a moment, we're going to find out this that He sees is not on earth. So how does he see? Remember that, that uh, space and time, that is time as in the passage of time as we know it in this age, the Bible calls our, our bubble in which we live this age. But outside of that is the reality, the real reality, which is eternity. And that's where God dwells and is. And there there is no time. And there there is no space. And so... For him to relate to us, and the first thing about his presence is we have to understand that the presence of God is a portal. The presence of God is an orifice that opens up in the membrane that stands between eternity and time. It is a door that opens, and you see through it into a realm that exists. <laughs> and I feel myself going through the door into a realm. You see into a realm that exists. Period. 
The same reference about Jesus is without faith is impossible to please. You must first believe that he is. And what that means is you must believe that he is, was, and is to come. Is always. Always. Now faith, not now faith. Now faith, meaning faith that is now, because faith does not live in the past or the present. Faith is on the other side of that door. Faith, all the gifts of the Spirit as we know come out of that realm. And when Isaiah was in the presence of the Lord, the first thing that happened is he he saw the Lord. Where did he see him? Was the Lord running around on the earth? No, he saw him through that orifice, through that opening, when the curtains that blocked the, the view of eternity were opened up, he saw the Lord. And this was this is such an amazing thing. This was the beginning of everything that he was and did. Becoming aware of the fact that God is present is the first step to becoming more intimate with Him. And there are a lot of people who go into the presence of the Lord, maybe in a meeting where there is anointed worship, or the anointing is there working in the minds and the hearts of the people. They may be in the presence, but there's things that happen to us. There's a moment, and you can probably recall the moment in the presence of God when you did become aware of His presence. It's like the, the curtains were open, the door was open, and oh, oh, okay, now I see the Lord. And this is what Isaiah is saying. I see the Lord high and exalted. Seated on a throne. His throne is not on earth. His throne is in heaven. Past tense. He made us to sit. He has made us to sit in heavenly places. How can we sit in the heavenly place and yet live on earth? Because of this, this door that opens. This, we, we leave this place. We go to that place. We see Him. Of course, that's in a... In a, at this moment in, in time, in our prison called time, uh, we are limited on this side. But once that door opens, uh, there's no limits to where we can go, what we can do, what we can experience. Now, this is why often I tell people, you can see the Lord, you can see His things. If you can see the Lord... You can see his things. He's got a lot of things. Gifts, treasures, anointings, healings, deliverance, wisdom. His things are his gifts. His things are the fruit that you are to live with as the fruit of the Spirit. His things are all the things that you're missing. You can, if you can see, if you can become aware of the presence of the Lord, then you will become aware of the transference of the things of God. And that's the first step. The first step, the door opening, is your awareness. Evan Roberts taught, be aware of God. That's how he calls the Welsh Revival. He got this doctrine that, look, don't call God, don't say, come, Lord, come. Lord, he said, the Lord is already here because he does not, he does not submit to the limitations of time or space. So he's here, you're the one with the problem. The door's not open, so you have to become aware. Develop an awareness, seek an awareness. The Lord is high and exalted. He's seated on a throne, and this is the wonderful thing, that, that we don't have to have him come, we go to him. It says it with confidence and boldness. Where are we going? We're going to the, the throne of grace. 
confidently, boldly. Why? To obtain mercy. That's just one of the things. If you can see the Lord high and lifted up, you can see His mercy. If you can see the Lord, you can see His grace. If you can see the Lord, you can also surpass the limitations of time and see your future, see your destiny, see what God has for you. That is wisdom. Wisdom directs. The gift of the word of wisdom is you getting glimpses of what is coming in the future. And he wants to show you that so that you can make choices today, here and now, that will bring you there. All this comes out of the awareness of God. You see the little... The first time I became aware, I remember when the door was open and I saw the Lord... I experienced him before I met him, before I knew him, um, because I found out this door's hinges are connected on the eternity that is in the heart of man. The knob itself of the door that we open, the switch to open the vortex, is connected to something that has been put into every man, a measure of faith has been given. And I always quote Solomon when he said that he has put eternity in our hearts. We already have, all have the ability, that's why at the age of 12, I was able to see the Lord. I didn't know who he was. He scared me. Desperately scared me. I ran out of the room. But I connected in conjecturing about eternity with my friend. That was really my first experience with the reality of God. That haunted me, plagued me, followed me like a ghost for five years until I received Jesus. I could not undo that experience. You understand? I could not disregard that. We tried our best, my friend and I. We did not talk about it, but I could not. Every night that I went to sleep, that was in my mind. What was that in that room? What was that that I experienced? There is a supreme being. There is one almighty one. And he does live outside of time. Because that was my conversation that day. Was what if, what if time isn't real? Where does that come from in a 12-year-old mind? That comes from God. That was the seed inside. Be aware. Now Isaiah is here, and the verse continues in the second part of verse 1. Number 2, you feel him in his presence. First you see him. There's a progression here, by the way. You see the Lord, then you feel him in his presence. It says, and the train... <laughs> the train of his robe fill the temple. Now I want you to understand what this means. Uh, how many of you have been to a wedding? A western style wedding. And they have beautiful wedding dresses, right? And they have a long segment of the gown that is referred to as the train. It's the bridal train. It's the train that comes off of the... If, if I had on a wedding dress and it was trailing behind me and I was walking along, that's, it would extend out behind me. And so as I went down the aisle, dun, 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 I'm dragging this train. This is what it was referring to because nobility, royalty, kings wore these beautiful garments with very long long appendages that drug on the floor behind them. Why? Because it was a mark of majesty. It was a mark of authority. It was a mark of power. It was a mark of an excess of... They had more fabric. 
quality fabric to use, and that's why you only see trains on garments on very special days like a wedding day. But the Lord, being the King of Kings, that's what the Scripture is referring to. The train of His robe was there, and it filled the temple. In other words, in the temple of heaven, the trailing part of God, which is, of course, symbolic of His majesty, His splendor, the aura around Him, was so much, it, it filled the whole temple where he was. Now when his presence comes to us, that's exactly what it's like. A lot of people will come under the train of his robe when they're worshiping, when they're experiencing the presence of God, and not necessarily connect with him directly, but his train, the train of his robe fills the temple. This is actually recognition of the effect of the presence of God. Because the effect of the presence Although the presence is one thing, I often compartmentalize presence, power, person. Or even beyond that, the, the presence is really more related to this train. It's just the aura around God. And in this life, I have found it will manifest in different ways. In this age, it is often detectable, almost like a static electricity. Yeah. Sometimes it literally will cause your hair to rise up. Sometimes it will cause heat. Uh, he's an all-consuming fire. Part of the aura around him is heat. I've seen people break out into violent sweats in air-conditioned rooms while the Lord comes because the train of his robe covers him. And it can be hot. He has a hot train. He has a heavy train. The Bible speaks of the glory of the Lord being weak. I've seen it manifest like that. People look like they're smashed. People even say, I, I, I couldn't lift my hands. I couldn't move. I felt like I was being pushed into my seat. That's what I felt the day that I met Jesus in my room as a 17-year-old boy. I was sitting on the couch, and I felt like somebody was smashing me down into the couch. You say, what was that? Well, the, the hand of the Lord was heavily upon me. He was about to reveal himself. He put his hand on me. The train of his robe was extended over me. And I saw a flash of that bookshelf in my room where that Bible was, which beckoned me to go and investigate what that was. That's the, the weight of God. So at 12 years old, I saw the Lord in concept and idea and became a reality, which scared me. But by the time I was 17, I felt him smash me down into that couch. Now what preceded that was a divine discontentment and me asking many questions about, about is this all there is? There has to be more than this. It's got to get better than this. Come on, how low can you go before you run out of low? I mean, I, I had so many difficulties. So many things were not working out. And that's a good place to be. You know the good thing to, about being at your lowest is there's no lower to go. It's only up from there. So just relax. It's okay to be. It's a happy place to be. It's sometimes it's better than being high because you can fall from high heights. If you're low, if you're laying on the ground, are you afraid of falling? No. How many of you ever laid flat on the floor in your living room and said, I have to be careful, I don't want to fall down. I'm scared of heights. No, you're laying flat, you're okay. 
But if you're on a ladder very high up at the ceiling, changing a light bulb, you're very cautious because you have some distance that you can fall. The train of Israel filled the temple. The recognition of the effect of the presence of God and acceptance of it, because you can either accept or reject it. It says, let your peace out if it finds anyone worthy of it. Now Jesus gave them authority and power. He gave them the anointing, which on them operated as peace flowing out of them. Well, that is connected to the glory of God. It's the same way. You can receive the anointing or you can reject the anointing. Uh, and to feel it, you have to be open to it enough. And this is exactly what I see developing in people. But it's a key to developing an open heart and a discerning spirit toward God if you feel Him in his presence. So, in that year it says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This brings us to number three. You worship in his presence. Now, the progression goes as is, as I, as I analyzed it today. See, feel, then worship. Real worship, of course, is an adoration, a valuing in the highest place, of God or anything. You can worship an object, which means that object becomes a priority and it becomes important to you. Spirit of the Lord spoke last night in the class. He said something very interesting and it's been with me ever since he said it. He said that, oh, what he said, and I spoke it like this, was that there are people who believe that there's no such thing as elitism in God's kingdom, but there is elitism and there are elite. People. Some people believe that, that God has no favorites, but there are favorites. The question is not whether or not there are favorites, but why are they favorites? And the Spirit revealed it last night and said simply this, because He is their favorite. That's simple. If you want to be one of the favorites of God, then make God your favorite everything. An idol is something you favor above all things. It can be a car, it can be a motorcycle, it can be a computer, it can be a phone. It can, there was a young man somewhere in the world, I think it was in China, that actually sold a kidney so he could get an iPhone. That is horrible. Horrible. That means he's, that phone was so important it became as a deity to him. He needed it. That, that's not, that is not worth a kidney. So things in life, they're not worth it. And that's why the worries or the concerns, what draws your favor away in this life is actually competing for your adoration to the Lord. So you have to learn how to worship Him. And one thing that will lead you to real worship is these things that we're seeing. See, feel, and now you worship in His presence. Isaiah 6 and verse 2, it continues, Above Him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Whole earth is full of His glory. And the, the train of His robe was in the temple, but the glory of God is over the whole earth as it is today as it is in our generation, as it is in this age, as it is in Singapore, and will be more than ever before because God is about to pour His glory out on this nation in a way that is unprecedented and unseen like it's never happened before. And we're going to be part and parcel of that. We're going to be harbingers, messengers, conveyors 
the evangelists, of, do you understand, we will be carriers. When I say conveyors, how does God gain access to earth? He goes through people. The living water can only flow through us. We're going to be the fountains from which the heavenly flow comes to saturate this nation. As I know you're thinking, well, how will the glory of God descend upon this nation? It will not just drop out of heaven. He's not going to unfold heaven and just dump it down there. He will not circumvent you. You are His channel through which the glory will be released. That's exciting because that means we will be instrumental in bringing and carrying the glory of God. And say, is that possible? Of course it's possible. It's in this room right now. It's in I, a lot of people I, I can carry what the Lord has given me and I can share it and it will go to them. They will become aware of it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The Lord is full of His glory. Angels are here. These are seraphim. Worshipping in the presence of God because that's what we do. We worship in the presence of God. Elements employed in that worship are there. What are there? Angels. They are angels involved in our worship and adoration to the Lord. They are, although we don't need to know much about them, and the Lord does not care to instruct us about the angels. They just they're just ministering flames, the Bible says. They are they might be here in this room. They may appear in your life. You won't know them. You, you entertain them, not even aware of the fact that they're angels, but they're very real and they are there. Isaiah happened to actually see these creatures, these seraphim there, doing what they were doing, and they were calling to each other and singing and worshiping the Lord. Now this is an important thing. Remember the whole aspect here of what God is doing is exposing to Isaiah the God that is in eternity and His power and making it flow to Isaiah. Isaiah being a part of it for something we will see at the end of this message. But for now, the next step of Isaiah is worship. And the, the way you get into real worship is to first see the Lord high and lifted up. In other words, other people lifting Him up. You see people exalting the Lord. He's exalted in that place. Even if you're not cooperating with that worship, you must admit that there's something going on. And that is what draws you in to more and more experiences with the Lord. I'll bring you to number two. You feel Him. After you see those people exalting Him, the train of His robe is there. You don't really know what it is. But you feel it. It's like, man, I felt something when those people were singing. I felt something when those people were talking. When the preacher was talking, I felt something. He felt the train of his robe, the presence of the Lord. That's why I say we are the conduits. We are the ones that are going to bring God's glory to this nation and to the world. And the angels are going to help us. That's their job, by the way. They are only employed to help us. They work for us. They work for God, technically. But they work on, on our behalf for God. God employs them, uses them, mobilizes them. They do amazing things that you will never see or know. But in this case, there they can be seen. And in the Bible we see many times that angels are visible. They are involved in worship. They are involved because of what flows out of worship. As we worship in His presence. So that's what we do. Number four, you experience the atmosphere of heaven in His presence. Now, experience is where you're starting to cross the line between the two worlds. It says, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts 
and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now this is interesting. Uh, there is many times that people try to create an atmosphere on a stage, in a drama, in a concert, and they will use smoke to do that. They will use something to, actually laser shows require some type of smoke for you to see the glory of God that comes into a place. It can be as a mist, it can be as a cloud. The experience is what I'm focusing on. You experience the atmosphere. He's experiencing things that he's beholding and feeling and going through at that at the sound of the voices of the worship. Remember the Bible says that he travels on the praises of his people. That we are the channel through which he comes. But so how can we get there? Well, we have to say something. Remember we talked about that recently about breath is voice and spirit. You must say peace be with you. You must speak it. And when you do, the breath is the spirit moving through you. The holy breath is the holy spirit comes into you. You inhale and exhale and you speak words because words can only be generated with breath. So the air flows through. You release it. That's your preaching, teaching, especially worship. Now these creatures with the six wings that were there, they, for them to speak some type of resonating sound is coming. It's hard to measure it, but we think it from earthly terms. They were speaking out words, holy, holy, holy. And as a result, it caused there to be a transformation. The, the physicality of that dimension was shaken. So it is here on earth, the atmosphere that we are in. We experience the atmosphere. And that's what we need people to do. We need to bring them into the church during worship so they can experience, they see the Lord, they feel the Lord, and they go through a change in their life. They worship or they're brought to worship. If they do enter into worship, then they will experience it. And you see this progression in your life. This is what you've been through thus far in your relationship with the Lord. First, you saw the Lord. Then you felt His presence. Then you worshipped Him. And as you begin to yield to worship, then you, uh-oh, something's gone on. You begin to feel. Because it says He makes us partakers of the powers of the world to come. Participants with the Holy Spirit in Hebrews 6. So as we do that, we begin to feel the atmosphere of heaven in His presence. And people would say, well, His presence is the atmosphere of heaven. Yeah, I guess you could say that, but there's a lot more to it than that because He's not the only one in heaven. There's a lot in heaven. There's a lot going on up there. We have the redeemed, the elders, we have the angels, we have seraphim buzzing all around, blowing the place apart with powerful songs. We have There's a lot of stuff going on up there that are all elements or components to the eternities affecting earth. And he does not do it alone. Just as the angels are agents of what God is doing, that's where we are and what the Spirit is saying to me these days is that we, oh, I know you're waiting for me to come, but actually I am here in you, and you're the one that is going to make it happen. You're the one. If, I, if he sends Ezekiel to the valley of dry bones, he says that Ezekiel would speak. He didn't say, Ezekiel, you go and just stand there and watch the show. And No, he says, prophesy. Prophesy. How can you prophesy without speaking? So he had to speak it. So as we speak it to people, there will be a release of the anointing and the power of God. See, feel, worship, experience. Now as we're experiencing that, we go through various feelings and part of our... Because the sounds of the presence of God 
the and, and now I'm getting a little technical because this is really based more upon visions I've had. God showed me that the sound of worship in heaven is connected to the rainbow and the colors, and that the sound, the resonating sound of the seraphim and in unison with the redeemed and the angels and the elders falling off their thrones, all singing out, that that creates, that God inhabits that without limitations in that dimension. And it creates, uh, a, it changes the atmosphere of heaven itself. And so much so that you see the smoke is where? The smoke is showing up where? In eternity. In heaven. In the heavenly temple, the smoke is showing up. And because that, that smoke is a result of what? What is the one thing it says at the what? At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. You could cut it short. At the sound, there was smoke. In other words, at, when they sang out, the reverberating power of their voices or the anointed quality of their voices was of such that it shook things. The matter of that place was, was changed. It was disturbed and there was smoke that filled that place. Now, we need this smoke in Singapore. We need to bring that smoke to the people. And the only way we're going to be able to do it is to be able to sing like they sang. You hear what I'm saying? That we're going to have to find a way to expose the nation to worship. Have to find a way. There's plans right now, and I was this. I was talking to some pastors yesterday that already the government has proved the use of the stadium for these mass worship things that, that are coming up, and I think that might be a good opportunity. I would like to have some time in the stadium. I would like to go. Just let me do a couple of songs. I would like all the anointed worship leaders imagine if they could do that in the stadium. That will make a change. I've shared that story with you before about El Colosso and how we had that anointed time of worship and we sang and the power of God went out into the community. That was the smoke. The smoke took the, the place was shaken. It was such a powerful worship experience we had that the whole place was shaken. The power went out and it touched people. And this is how we also care. If he travels on the praises of his people, our praise, our worship will be the valve that releases this smoke, this atmosphere of heaven, the experience. We need them to experience the atmosphere of heaven. And if they can experience it, then that will be a catalyst to their believing because they'll know this is supernatural as part of releasing the anointing. Number five, you cry in his presence. And Isaiah is crying for a number of reasons, but it says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So yeah, he saw him. Now that he saw him, felt him, experienced him, worshipped him, now he's afraid of him. This is sound familiar, doesn't it? This happens when we worship the Lord. There's a moment where we get to the point of overwhelmingly being influenced by that presence that causes our emotions to erupt and flow. Uh, stifling those emotions or those feelings actually limits the work of God in our life. When we hold back and decide, no, I don't feel like crying, 
I don't feel like laughing. I don't feel like having an emotional response to the presence of God. We will put a hand up to the Lord and say no. Now, Isaiah is not. Isaiah says, I cried out. I cried, woe to me. There's nothing wrong with a woe to me moment in the presence of God. That's where you should start. This is the I am nothing, you are everything moment when you get the truth. Those that humble themselves under the mighty hand of God, in due time, He will exalt them. When you get it and understand that translation, it says those who realize their worthlessness before God. Those that beat their chest and say, have mercy me on a, a, a sinner. Those are the ones that are going to see the justification of God. We cry in the presence of the Lord. Patricia figured it out. She knows exactly what to do. She's doing the right thing. She just keeps crying and crying and crying. Every time she's crying, God is going into her body and rebuilding her on a molecular level. Every time she's in the presence of the Lord, I see God building her up. She's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Wouldn't it be great to see a completely normal Patricia? And when I say normal, I don't I, I accept her as she is, but what if Whatever she's lacking in comparison to a normal physical condition, what if she was completely restored without possible medical explanation? And a good way for us to be able to demonstrate the power of God. And she's on the right track for that because she comes into the presence and she heals and she heals and she heals and she heals. And, and I believe God is going to do miracles in her life. That's the overwhelming influence. You cry in His presence. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips. Of course you are. We all are. Everybody. He says, I live among the people of unclean lips. Everybody has unclean lips. That's the whole problem. That's the whole root of the need for salvation is that we are unclean. We need help. We desperately need the help and the aid of God in our lives. The Lord Almighty, the King. We see Him, but then looking into His holiness frightens us because we know, I'm not that. I'm not there. I, I can't. I'm not that holy. He's not expecting you to be holy like that. He's expecting you to let him make you holy. Be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. How you do that is not by doing all these practices and these things that you you simply yield. Yield to what? The very presence that Isaiah is in, and it's about to be demonstrated. But before he gets to the next stage, he has to cry out. There has to be an emotional upheaval of, of your, your whole soul crying out. Like Hannah in the temple. When you cry out to him, then there's a response and God will come. And that's number six. You get touched in his presence. Isaiah 6, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned. That's an awesome hat. And you really got a picture of what's going on here. Dumbfounded, weeping Isaiah in awe is staring at the king of glory, high and lifted up, exalted, his train filling the temple. These seraphim are singing, holy, holy, holy. The, 
doorpost at that song and the sound of the voice, the doorpost and everything shaking, smoke is filling the place. And if that's not enough, and he cries out, woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips, I live in a, in a generation of people with unclean lips, suddenly one of the seraphim take notice of what he's doing and figures, oh, we can take care of that because they are an element to the presence of God, agents of the glory of the Lord. And they just go over there and get tongs and grab, this is like, imagine you, whatever picture things you have in your house that you grab fried things and flip in the pan or that you don't want to touch, you want to grab bread out of the oven, you know, you have those pinchy things. Those, those things. Tongs. Now, these, these are heavenly tongs they have, but they're like our tongs. A tongue is a tongue is a tongue. This is just in an eternal dimension. So he takes it, he takes this coal, it says, when it says there that that the coal, the coal, the live coal, yeah, you don't want a dead coal. You want a live coal, which is burning. A live coal is glowing, it's hot. That's why the seraphim was not dumb enough to grab it with his bare hand. Because it was hot. So he used tongues. Still now, picture Isaiah, dumbfounded, watching this. What's he going to do with that thing? And then he, he spreads those wings out. One pair he's using for flight. So now he's... And he comes straight over. Tongues extended, blazing coal. Straight at Isaiah's face. That's scary. And with it, he touched my mouth. He like... He... Because his memory, he says here, I'm a man of unclean lips. So th that was the solution. Okay, let's clean him up. <laughs> so he jams this with tongs. He jammed this red hot coal into Isaiah's mouth. Just <laughs> sticks it on his face. Isaiah's helpless. Then I picture the angel taking it back and holding it and standing in front of Isaiah saying, See? See? Like, look, look at this. This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. That's beautiful. There's a moment when you cross a line between theoretical God and physical God. And when you cross that line, it is tantamount to a six-winged seraphim cracking a blazing coal into your face. It's real. It's no longer just a theory or an idea, but you hear the sizzling hiss of burning flesh. I was in a revival in Mexico, New Mexico, in the United States, one of the states, and this biker couple was there. Harley Davidson people. And they came and she she had an amazing encounter with God. She came up to me after that encounter. Actually she charged me. Because she decided I'm gonna take this man down. And she charged me. She was bigger than I am. She charged me, and when she got to the front where I was standing, she tried to tackle me, but when she did, she ran into what seemed to be an invisible barrier. She couldn't touch me. She just bounced off of it and threw, flew back on the floor. I just kept preaching. 
And there on the floor, she writhed and moved around the glory of God, consumed her. Of course, she totally reconciled with God. She gave her heart to God. Her husband got saved, and uh, they were, you know, they were touched by God. They had experienced before that in God, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think they had been in and out of church, but this was the moment where coals touched them. And um, in a couple of services after that, she came to me, and it's a really strange thing. She said, what's that smell? And I said, what's that? You know, smelly armpits, what smell? And she said, it smells like bacon. I said, huh? She said, I keep smelling bacon. And I didn't know what to say if it hadn't been for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, tell her that it is her flesh burning. Because I'm touching her with my fire. And I said, I'll tell you what the Lord just told me. He says, what you're smelling is your flesh burning because he's touching you with his fire. Her eyes rolled back and her she flopped on the floor. <laughs> Sizzled some more. More bacon. It's real. In other words, it's not it's not theoretical. It's a physical yeah. dimension. It becomes how many of you know in this moment Isaiah is physically touched by this? He's really, he's really experiencing something. It's one thing to be an observer. It's one thing to stand off and watch the show. It's one thing to see the glory of the Lord and see the Lord high and lifted up and exalted. It's one thing to see the train of his robe filling the temple. It's one thing to hear the seraphim singing out, holy, holy, holy. It's one thing to see them shaking the doorposts with the sound of their voices and smoke filling, but it's a whole other thing to watch one of these guys take a blazing coal and stick it in your face. That's the line crossing. When re reality hits you and God changes you and only God can do it. And that's number six as you get touched in his presence. The moment you cross that line, he becomes a reality to you in your senses. This is when you are convinced of him. It, in 1995, it happened to me in that I've had I had a lot of experiences, but in 1995 it was very extreme. And that's really the moment where the cold touched my lips. Uh, I can say, metaphorically speaking, that's where I was burned and I felt that I writhed in flames for 45 minutes. It's where I couldn't see. I went blind, just saw white light, and that's where every I became a whole different person. Whole different person. And I'm looking forward to more of these experiences. I'm ready for another coal. I'm ready for another coal. Lord, get another coal. It says he took a coal. How many of you know there's more than one coal up there? He's got lots of coals. I imagine that he could arrange for there to be at least a coal for every human being on this planet. He's got all kinds of coals. They're burning. That means anointings, gifts, the touch of the hand of the Spirit. <laughs> the touch. And say, Lord, I want a coal. You up. I want a coal. I want you to touch me. I, I want you to touch me. I want my guilt to be taken away. I want my sin atoned for. I want to be cleansed. I want to be made different as a result of my experience with you. I might see you. I might feel you. I might worship you and even experience the atmosphere of heaven. And I'm going to cry. But now I'm ready to get touched.
and the Lord will come and do that. Now, this is interesting because through the first six of these elements or these things that we're seeing that Isaiah went through, God's not talking to him at all. He's just observing. A lot of people want the Lord to talk to them, but there are things that must happen before you can hear His voice. Number seven, you hear His voice. Then, Isaiah says in verse 8, then, this word means after all of the other stuff, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people. The whole reason that God wants to touch you and he come into me with you is so that he can communicate with you. And the whole reason he wants to communicate with you is so that you can be sent to communicate with you. Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.